Man, I'm, I'm really excited. I apologize if you talk to myself or my wife, uh, or my wife uh, and we don't seem 100% there, it's because we're not 100% there, right? We moved like three days ago, and it has been a process. I don't know if you've ever moved seven people before, but don't. Just burn your stuff, claim insurance, and buy new stuff. It's easier, like it's just cleaner. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. But uh, yeah, so my kids are all here, and if they interrupt, I'm sorry. That's just, there's five of them. We can't control them. And please don't like trip them as they run down the aisle unless you really want to. But yeah, uh, so we're going to be talking just real briefly tonight uh, out of John chapter 6. So open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, which is kind of towards the back. It's the last of the four Gospels, it is not one of the three synoptic Gospels. Um, And then chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 60, 69. All right, everybody there? Gave you enough time? Here we go. And maybe we'll have it on screen, maybe we won't. YOLO. All right, therefore, many of the disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, Does this cause you to stumble? What then, if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, For this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him from the Father. As a result, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you not want to go away also? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to us tonight, God, that uh, you would use my tired brain, Lord, to communicate what you've put on my heart. God, I pray that you would open all of our eyes and ears Holy Spirit, we give you the right to speak to our hearts and minds, convict us of what is sin, and convict us of what is righteous. Lord, we love you and we trust you. Amen. So, before we dig into this scripture and the context that it's in, which is really interesting, I want to tell you briefly about my best friend, Nick. Right? My best friend, Nick, is one of the most gifted soul winners you've ever met in your life. I mean, he could just attract, he had a way of just attracting people. And he wasn't like a upfront kind of magnetic guy. He kind of kept to himself. He was a quiet, introverted dude. But somehow, he was like some kind of, you, you have, have you ever heard of like the earworm? Have you heard of this before? Like an earworm, a song that just gets stuck in your head? Like if I were to utter the phrase, let it go, you're going to be singing something for the next 12 years and you'll want to lay in front of a truck, right? Like... So um, there's also some songs in the Lego movies that I could say. Anyway, um, I have kids. Anyway, um, Nick was kind of like that relationally. Like he, he'd get in there and then he'd just stick to you, right? And it didn't matter what you were into, Nick would get into that too, right? So like there were guys I saw him hang out with. Like Nick, he was a hardcore guy, right? He listened to like metal and screamo, even though it's not like 2006, but whatever, you know? And, and like he was... One of those dudes tatted up, and he, he looked hardcore, right? But, like, he would hang out with these guys that were into, like, playing Magic the Gathering. And Nick would just go all out. He's like, all right, I'm doing this, right? 
And uh, Nick and I actually bonded over soccer, right? And I remember the first soccer match, maybe not the first match we watched together, but the one that I remember the most was in the World Cup in 2010, right? So y'all were all like seven years old or whatever. And 2010, right? And we're watching the last game of the group stage and the U.S. has to win to score a goal, right? And there's like two minutes left in the game and... Uh, if, if we don't score a goal, we don't win. And if we don't win, we don't get out of the groups and go to the knockout tournament, right? And it's two minutes left in the game, right? And Algeria is about to score and Tim Howard being the secretary of defense saves the, the ball, right? And then he distributes it to the right to Landon Donovan who goes blazing down the field, who passes it to Clint Dempsey. Dempsey takes a shot. It's blocked, right? And this is the last 30 seconds. We're all about to, like, our dreams are going to be crushed, right? This is U.S. soccer. This is what I breathe. This is what I live for, right? Same with Nick, right? And the shot's blocked, and we're like, no! And then all of a sudden, at the last second, Landon Donovan comes in out of screen, out of nowhere, and knocks the ball into the net, Right? And then the game ends like right after that. And we make it, right? And there was like a dozen of us watching the game together at Nick's house. And we just like jumped up and yelled and screamed and then dogpiled each other. It was the dumbest thing ever, right? My glasses got stepped on. And it is just a bunch of dudes in a nasty college house, right? But we're like on the floor getting covered in God knows what. But just like screaming like, ah! Like we had won the game, right? It was amazing. And that was the moment when Nick and I became friends. Right? And we had such a good time watching soccer together that uh, we actually started a text group because we couldn't watch every game together. So we both loved Houston Dynamo. We both loved the U.S. national team. And so we started this text group in 2011. And every day since that day, we texted each other about soccer, about life. Right? And that was, that was who Nick was. He was loyal. He was always there for you. Right? And he had a way of just loving what you loved. And winning your heart and then leading you to Jesus. He just did it over and over and over and over. There was one guy named Matthew Brasinio, right? That was a church kid and he wanted to walk away from Jesus. But Nick just fell in love with what he loved. Won Matt's heart. And then Matt became a missionary to UTSA, right? And then while Matt is at UTSA, he wins the heart of another guy. And that guy's now planning a church in Bandera, Texas. Right? I can tell story after story about Nick. And how he won people's hearts, won them to Jesus, and then sent them out as missionaries. It was amazing to watch him work. He was so generous as well. So giving. Uh, When we were overseas in the Czech Republic, um, he sent a a care package to us. Right? He wouldn't tell us what was in it. But he he sent this box. And it cost a lot of money to mail anything to the Czech Republic because they tax the mess out of it. Doesn't matter what's in there, right? But for whatever reason, it didn't get to us. And it got sent back, right? Two years later, I get back to the U.S., right? We moved to Huntsville, and we're hanging out. Nick and I are hanging out at his house in Huntsville, Texas. And he walks out of his bedroom with this package. He had held on to the package, hadn't opened it, nothing. And he handed it to me. And it was like a game-worn Dynamo jersey from one of, one of the players on the team inside that. He was so generous. He could have kept that for himself. I would have kept that for myself. But Nick knew I loved the dynamo and he gave it to me, right? Well, a month ago today, Nick died. The Lord took him away. My best friend. Why? Why would God take away my best friend? 
Why would God take somebody that could win people to Jesus? Nick was actually on his way to be a missionary in Cairo, Egypt. And the Lord just took him. He had this severe sleep apnea, and he was going to the doctor for it. And then just three days later, he had a heart attack. Gone. At 27 years old. Gone. And I remember the rest of us, all of us, you know, all of his friends, we just found ourselves, like, questioning God. Like, what, what is going on? Why would you do that? Why would you take the best of us? And, and we're left here trying to figure out why do our hearts hurt? What's the point of all this? Does that make sense? So we, we don't understand what the Lord did with Nick. It doesn't make sense to us, and we're questioning. And here we find the disciples in the same position. They don't understand what Jesus is doing. It makes zero sense to them. See, in John chapter 6, we see Jesus at probably the height of his popularity, right? When it comes to, like, public opinion, this is when he polls the highest, right? And at this point in his ministry, he is famous. Everybody knows him. In John chapter 6, this whole chapter is basically, like, one long string of events that happen right on top of each other. So first thing is, like, Jesus feeds the 5,000, right? That's really cool. So 5,000 men get fed. That's not counting women and children, right? So that number could be even higher. And so he feeds a bunch of people, right? And then they, like, want to go and get him. And so he's like, dude, there's too many people. I need to take a walk. So he goes and walks on a, a lake, right? Who doesn't do that? He goes walking on the Sea of Galilee, right? And so right, right after he feeds the 5,000, he goes for a walk on water, and then the storm comes in. We all know this. And then, you know, Peter, like, opens his big, dumb mouth, right? Have you ever thought about that? Like, how dumb was Peter? Like, you see Jesus, he's like, well, if it's Jesus, you told me to walk on water. Like, who responds like that? It could be some dink with floaties on his feet, and you go down and drown. Like, but, oh, whatever. Um, so then Jesus walks on water, and... And then he gets across the sea and he goes to Capernaum, Capernaum, depending on what emphasis, on which syllable you put, right? So he goes to Capernaum and he he goes immediately to the synagogue and starts preaching. And that's where the crowds that travel all the way around the Sea of Galilee find him, right? They find him there. And then the Bible says that they try and make him king and he rebukes them for it. They want to crown him as king. That's how much they love this guy. Right? And then he starts teaching in the synagogues. And then, and then people are astounded by his teaching. They're like, what is going on? How can he say these things? These are amazing. We've never thought about this before. And then right behind that is when Jesus says, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Can you imagine being one of the twelve? You're hanging around this guy that's like casting out demons out of people, walking on water, telling storms to shut up, you know? He's just, and and his popularity is growing. And you're thinking, I'm a part of this movement where Jesus is about to be king. He's He's the Messiah. That's what he came for, to be the king. And then people come and say, we want to make you king, right? That's God's will. But all of a sudden he says, no, you're only here because of what I gave you. And he rebukes them. And then he says some stuff that's crazy. Like we have to eat his flesh, eat his body, and drink his blood. And people start leaving in droves. And then that's where we find ourselves here. 
Everyone says, this is weird and this is hard. What are you doing, Jesus? Why are you doing this? And in this response to Jesus' hard teachings, we find two groups of people. We find the delighted and the decided. So we're going to talk about those two groups really briefly. So the first thing we see, the first group, are the mass droves that left. And they're the delighted, right? They loved Jesus. The thing you have to remember is that both of these groups wanted Jesus to be king, and they were both ready to crown him as their king. Does that make sense? You all tracking with me? So the delighted had many reasons for following Jesus. Like, some of them followed Jesus because he fed them, right? They were one of maybe the 5,000 people that got fed, right? And they wanted to make Jesus king because of what he gave to them. And if you think about some of your motives for following Jesus, remember Andrew talked about motives two weeks ago. If you think about some of your motives for following Jesus, sometimes we find ourselves because of what God gives us, right? I love the way I feel when I sing that song to Jesus, I love the way it makes me feel. I walk with God because I know he'll answer my prayers, right? There's some really popular theology out there that really emphasizes this. If you pray, if you give to God, if you walk with God, he'll bless you. And what it comes down to is we love God because of full stomachs that we have or maybe a big bank account or maybe because he can insulate us from discomfort like hunger, right? And so we love God because he delights us. Because of what he gives us. It makes us happy. Or maybe there's another group. There's another group that follows Jesus because of what he did. Right? He walked on water. Look at the demonstrations of power. He silences storms. He drives out demons. So we look at at Jesus and think of his strength and his power and his might, his authority. And we say, I want to follow him because look what he can do. Look at what he's capable of doing. He's going to solve my problems. He's going to take care of this stuff. Man, I can be like Peter. If I'm on that water and start to sink, he'll just grab me and pull me right out. He'll give me victory. But still, when the hard teaching came, they didn't understand what Jesus was doing. And even though they wanted to crown him king, they walked away. And another group within the delighted people, they followed Jesus because of what Jesus said. The things that Jesus said the wisdom in his sayings, the beauty, the intelligence, the philosophy. I've known many Christians in my life that, that loved God, follow Jesus, because what he said works. It's just the best way to live. Does that make sense? Have you ever met those people? So we love Jesus, like this group loves Jesus because of what he said. He reveals truth. I mean, look at the Sermon on the Mount. Have you ever read Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7? It's incredible. I encourage you to go home and do that tonight before you go to sleep. Look at the beauty of those words. How can you not want to make him king when he's that wise and that good? Isn't that incredible? But then he says something that doesn't make any sense. And even though they want him to be king, they still walk away. See, the reason why Jesus rebuked them and refused the crown that they offered is because they all wanted him to be king, but for their own end. Either for a full stomach and comfort, or to give them power and victory, or to make them smart and wise. But it was all for themselves. 
And Jesus will be the puppet king for no one. Either he is your king and full king or nothing at all. Right? And then the next group is the group that stands with Peter. When Peter says, we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. See, that statement is so strong and so beautiful and so powerful. If you really look at what Peter's saying here. See, Jesus said to eat his flesh and drink his blood because he is salvation. See, when, when God does stuff that you don't understand, when you're disappointed with him, when, you, when you're confused by what's going on around you, these circumstances are all messed up and I don't get it. I don't understand why you're doing this. Why did you take my friend? When you're going through this stuff, the temptation is to look at God and say, salvation comes through what Jesus gave or what he did on the cross or what he said. But that's getting your wires crossed. That's not how that works. See, salvation comes from who he is. Salvation is Jesus himself. That's why you must take his body and his blood into yourself. Does that make sense? Are you all tracking with me? Everybody tired? Or am I just not being fun? That's okay. I'm not a fun person. When, when you come to Jesus and you've decided in your heart that you want to make him king, him king, because of who he is and not anything that he does, he will not deny you. Do you see the difference in the two groups? It's really subtle. But it's so vitally important. I love that Jesus asked the crowd, does this cause you to stumble? Does this cause you to stumble? It makes me think of when Jesus was talking about John the Baptist. You know, he's preaching to the group and he says, did you come out to see a reed, a reed swayed by the wind? I know we don't have a whole lot of reeds out here in West Texas, but you can understand, right? A reed swayed by the wind. Wherever the wind blows, it blows, right? Some places we call that cool when you get enough of that breeze and you bend the way the wind's blowing. But that's not who Jesus calls a follower. That's not who Jesus commends. It's not a reed swayed by the wind, swayed by their circumstances, swayed by whatever's going around them, going on around them. No, Jesus is looking for someone that's firmly planted on the rock. Someone that loves him for who he is and not what he does. See, because what happens is eventually something will come along in your life where Jesus will not do something, not say something, or not give something that you really want. And then you have a problem because your whole reason for following him was because of what he does or what he says or what he gives. And then, what do you do? Does that cause you to stumble? So why are we talking about this? Because Welcome Week is coming. I know all of your heads are just like, school just let out, what are you talking about? Please don't mention school coming back, right? Scroggins, we don't like you for saying that. That's okay, I'm sorry. But I'm already thinking about this, those freshmen that have come on this campus. And we're going to ask a lot of you, all of you, to walk out there on that campus and make a friend. To be like my friend Nick. 
to be an earworm, to get in their head, to love what they love and pursue them and win them to Jesus. And there's going to be times when you walk on that campus and you see that person that you know the Holy Spirit's telling you, you need to go talk to them. And you're going to have to make a decision. Do I want to be comfortable? Do I value the way that God sees me? Or do I value the way that man sees me? Did you come to be a reed swayed in the wind? Or did you come to stand firmly on the rock?